Jessica didn't ask, but I'm sure they could use some nursery workers as well during the meetings, so um, don't forget about that. Uh, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 now. Um, I feel like this is an odd message to preach after a day like today, but uh, I really think the Lord wants me to, so here we go. Um, If it's wrong, it's my fault, but uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 1, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply. And go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. As you read through the rest of the chapter there, ultimately it is the summation of the children of Israel. So if you're looking it over, uh, the children of Israel, of course, have been brought up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And the Lord is bringing them from there into the land of Israel, where he wanted to take them, the land of Canaan at the time. And as he's bringing them in, most of you know, but just in case, uh, as they're coming in, you got to Numbers chapter 13, and the children of Israel sent spies into the land of Canaan. And about that time, those spies, right, everybody knows the kids' songs, right? Ten were bad and two were good, right? Uh, some saw giants big and tall, and some saw grapes and cr- clusters fall. And some saw God was overall, and ten were bad and two were good. All right, the ten spies said, they can't take, we can't take it, we can't do it, these giants are too big. We're as grasshoppers in their sight, we can't take the land. The two said, yes, we can, we are well able. Because we've got God, we can go in and possess the land. And they caused the heart of the people to melt, and they said, no, we can't go in. So the Lord punishes them ultimately. He says, well, if you're not going to go in, you're not going to obey my command to go in. You're not going to trust me and believe me. Then you're going to wander around the wilderness for the next 40 years until all of you who are of age of accountability, outside of those who trusted me, the rest of you are all going to die in the wilderness. And we're going to bring you around, and then by the time we're all done, we're going to bring you back around, and we're going to head you right back in, and we're going to do this again. And the children of Israel, here they are. They're, they're coming again now. Here they're coming around. And the admonition to them is, all right, remember these last 40 years of wandering. These folks, all the people he is talking to outside of Caleb, Joshua, Moses, uh, you know, he's looking at them and Moses is saying, hey, look, you've got to remember some things. These folks were 20 years old and under when they, uh, when they started that journey of wandering. And he looks it back and he reminds them, and if you look at the rest of the chapter, and I preached on this at Youth Ablaze this year, uh, I preached on what we were to remember. Uh, and everything that we were supposed to remember is put through the prism of the fact that you and I have been pardoned by Almighty God. Uh, the typology, the thing that you see in the passages, that they were under bondage in the land of Egypt before, 
and God has pardoned them and taken care of them. Verse 14, uh, he goes ahead and brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The comparative to, to us as saved individuals is we're under the bondage and the rudiments of sin. It had us in bondage. We were holding with the cords of our sin. We were trapped. We were condemned. We were bondmen there. And God has set us free by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and His redemption. I preached all about that this morning, that great and mighty plan that God had for us, that God would send His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and pay the debt of our sins. And go ahead and give us the gift of eternal life, a free salvation given to us so that we could have our sins forgiven forever and we could have the righteousness of God because of how great things Jesus Christ did for us that day He gave His life for us. And we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we get salvation, the free gift, and we have been pardoned of all of our sins and all of our transgressions are taken care of. He reminds them in verses 3 and 4 that all the provision is taken care of from God. He gives them all the clothes, all the food, everything that they needed. He said, hey, we took, I took care of all that. Uh, can you imagine living 40 years and never having to buy another pair of shoes? Ladies just all had a heart attack right there. All just fell out. No more shoes. Uh, never have to buy, never have a shoe fall apart ever. That's what the Lord was doing for 40 years. They walked around with the same pair of shoes. Didn't fall apart, didn't wear out, didn't fall. They just kept wearing. Just kept walking, just kept going. The Lord provided everything that they needed. They don't have anywhere to plant a crop. They're wandering. They're moving. So he had to provide not just for uh, just a few things. He had to go ahead and take care of all their food, all their sustenance, all the things that they would need day to day, make sure they had food and water and all the stuff. And just to survive, God just kept providing. He reminds them about in verse number 5 that God does bring punishment. They decide they want to go against the Lord thy God chastened thee. Uh, it's good to remember the Lord chastening us, by the way. So what does that do? That keeps you from getting chastened again. Amen. Uh, that's, that's one good side of it. The other good side is reminding yourself that God loved you enough to chasten you. Loved you enough whom the Father loveth, he correcteth. That's, that's what happens. You love somebody, you'll correct them. You'll tell them when they did it wrong. And the Lord is so merciful and gracious to us. He tells us where we did it wrong. He corrects us and chastens us. Not only that, but He also is their protection. You get down to verse 15 and 16. And the Lord is the one through a terrible wilderness and went ahead and took care of them and protected them from all the trouble that could have happened. God took care of them. He is their protection. In this life, you and I, our protection is solely found in God. Safety is of the Lord. Verses 7, 8, and 9, he reminds them of the promises and how God has promised to bring them into the good of the land and to take care of them and to bless them. God wants to fulfill his promises to you and I. Not just the promise of salvation, but the promise that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. The promise that He'll meet our need, that He won't uh, have His seed begging bread. He's not going to go ahead and have us fail. And He wants to bless and He wants to give us peace and He wants to give us joy. He wants to give us all the things that you and I would long for. He wants to fulfill everything He promises. He's a wonderful God and He reminds us to remember those things. But you got to remember for 40 years... These people were wandering around in a wilderness. Now, 
you get thinking about that just for a moment and you start thinking about our life. Wandering around. Sometimes you feel like you're lost and you have no idea what you're doing and where you're going. You have troubles and problems. Man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. Man is a few days and full of trouble. Uh, we, we don't have very long on the face of this earth, but we do have a lot of troubles to fill up those days. What is amazing is that some people wonder the question, well, why, do, why is it that God doesn't just save us for all of eternity, forgive us of all of our sins, and then go, okay, everything can be smooth now? Why do we even bother having a wilderness? Why doesn't God just eliminate our problems for us? Why is it that we have to struggle at all? Why is it not just sunshine and roses? Ice cream cones and unicorns. Why don't we just have it easy? Couldn't God make your life easy? Of course he can. He's God. He wants to make it easy, he can make it easy. Is anything too hard for him? Well, no, of course not. If he wants to make it easy, he can. So why does he have to have anything be rough for you? Why can't it just be simple? You ever think that? You ever been in a situation and go, why can't we just make this easy? What in the world? Why is this so complicated? If you've ever dealt with immigration like I have with my wife, you can realize very quickly nothing is easy. All right? Uh, if the government's involved, you already know it's not easy. <laughs> The sad truth is, if a human being is involved, it's not easy. It's just troubles and problems, and why can't we just have this be easy? And the truth is that there is a perfectly good reason for you and I, whether we're doing everything we know to do right, could end up in a wilderness. And God gives you the reasons right here why we go into the troubles and the problems and the struggles, and why is it just not easy and taken care of. And so tonight I'm going to preach on why. Why the wilderness? Why do we have to go to a wilderness? Why is there a wilderness at all? Why can't it just be saved and simple and done? Well, the Lord has some great reasons and some great purposes to accomplish when He puts you in a wilderness. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Father, I thank You for bringing us all here. I know this is a different kind of a service, but it's also a different kind of a message tonight. So I do pray You would just help me to convey these thoughts in the right manner and Help me to have the right words and help it to be a blessing and an encouragement to folks tonight. I pray, Lord, it wouldn't be, uh, Father, taken a bad way. But, I, Father, I do pray that it would be a great strengthening to us and a great reminder of what we deal with and why we deal with these things. And so, Father, I do pray that you would bless our night. Help me, Lord, to be able just to continue to uh, say what you once said. Nothing more and nothing less than I pray Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up and you would draw all men onto yourself. Father, we love you and we do pray that you'd bless our night in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're not really going to go uh, very many places. We're pretty much going to stay right here. So I'll keep it nice and simple for you. You see in verse number 2, he reminds them, thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, number 1, to humble thee. Oof. Now you know why I didn't want to do this. Right here. You know, point number one, I don't even want to do. All right? So you're with me now. All right? We're all miserable now together. All right? Uh, he says, to humble thee. Why do I got to go through problems? To humble thee. You and I deal with pride constantly. 
uh, Lucifer, the devil, Satan, whichever title you'd like to give him, his sin was pride, right? His sin was, I'm going to be God. I'm going to take God's throne. I am going to reign. I'm going to ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'm going to be just like the Most High. I'm going to take everything from Him. I'm going to steal His glory. I'm going to steal His throne. I'm going to steal His reign. I'm going to go ahead and take over. Wasn't well, that a prideful, arrogant statement from a created being? You and I, he is, it is said of, of Lucifer, of the devil, it's said that he is king over all the children of pride. You start looking over what the Bible says about pride and arrogancy. You find out that uh, you get over to Proverbs and you know what he says? He says, six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Now this is where I kind of start to get a little upset with folks, all right? You say, why do you get upset with folks? Because they, they like to harp on certain things that are called abomination in the Bible. And it's abomination, all right? I'm not disputing that fact, but they act like that's the one sin that's an abomination in the eyes of God. And they miss an entire list in the book of Proverbs that God is against and calls an abomination just like that. All right, the sin of Sodom was a sin that is abhorred by God and it is an abomination in the eyes of God, yes, but that is not the only one. Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one on the list is a proud look. By the way, number two is a lying tongue. <laughs> now we're in trouble, aren't we? You realize God abhors a lying tongue and it's an abomination to Him. Along with sowing discord among brethren and a whole bunch of other things. But that first one, a proud look. A proud look. We also realize that Pride goeth before destruction and in a haughty spirit before a fall. We also know that pride, only by pride cometh contention. Strange, you ought to take a look at when the Lord comments on onlys in the Bible. This is, this is the on, only by pride cometh contention. How do you get contention? Only by pride. Well, I don't know why there's such contention. I don't know why there's such anger and such malice and people are against each other and they're so mad at each other and all. Only by pride cometh contention. You don't get contention any other way but by pride. And oftentimes the person who's proud tries to justify their pride. In Proverbs chapter 11, he reminds us uh, that pride comes and then cometh shame. You ever been ashamed at yourself for being so proud? Because you got brought down to destruction and everybody figured out how proud you were? Funny things about pride. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, we won't turn to all these places, you can go all over. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. He reminds us that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Say, so what's the wilderness all about? To humble thee. Why do I have to go through trouble? Why do I have to have problems to humble thee? Number one on God's list of putting you through troubles is you're proud. 
you have too much pride, and I'm going to take that pride from you. The sad truth is, I've heard Brother Gibbs say this, and I've probably quoted it plenty of times, and most of you have probably heard it, but it's a great reminder, and every time I think of it, I hate it. He says, I think most of our troubles do not come from the devil or the world or the flesh. Sometimes I think it is just our pride getting in the way, and God must resist us because God resisteth the proud. And it's not anybody else hindering you. It's God having to slow you down and put you in a wilderness so he can humble you and get you to realize you need him. That's the humility right there. The humility is I can't handle what I'm dealing with. I need God. That was the first step you got into in salvation, isn't it? And the first thing you've got to realize is I can't get to heaven by myself. My good works aren't good enough. I am a sinner, so I don't deserve heaven. So now I need somebody to come in and save me because I can't do it. That's humility. Humility is recognizing that you are not the one who is able to handle any of it. It is somebody else that has to now come in and fix your mess. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. In Daniel chapter 4, he eats grass like an ox. The king of the most powerful nation of his day is out in the field eating grass like a wild beast. When he finally comes to himself, and the Lord allows him to, he makes this proclamation in verse number 37. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. The king of the most powerful nation on the planet of his day looks around and he says, God wants to humble me, he can humble me. And if I'm proud, he can abase me. So why am I in a wilderness? Because maybe God might need to abase you. He may need to bring you down. It's funny. Pride is a funny thing in the Bible, too. Humility is strange, and pride is strange. You start looking at people in the Bible. We all know Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. Meekness is humility. Mm -hmm. Moses is the meekest man in all the earth. Great moniker to have. I mean, if you're going to have Jesus Christ, right? He was the meek and lowly Galilean. I mean, that's, that's, a pretty good, that's a pretty good comparative right there. Moses is meek. So how do you know? Because Moses wrote it down for you. Now, just a minute here. If I walked in here and I said, I'm the meekest man in this entire room. I am so humble. We all are like, that guy's a jerk. That's what he is. He's an idiot. Mm. Moses writes it down in the Bible. You know what you and I say? He was the meekest man in all the earth. So, but that doesn't make any sense. You realize if Moses doesn't write it down and he doesn't say that he's the meekest man in all the earth and he looks back at God and says, God, I know you told me to write that I'm the meekest man in all the earth, but all these people are going to think I'm proud. I can't do that. So what did he just do? He just became proud. So he says, okay, I'll humble myself and write this down. I'll look like an idiot. 
but I'll write down that I'm the meekest man in all the earth. So those people are proud, maybe. Maybe, except if they're listening to God, they wouldn't be. It's strange, you get up and I'll use, I'll use preaching as an example because I'm doing it right now. You get up to preach, I've been told I'm arrogant. I've been told that on a street corner just as much as I've been told after I got done preaching in this pulpit, all right? You're arrogant, you just, you, you know, you think you know everything, you're, you know, this and you're that and all those things and it's great, it's wonderful, that's fine. You can think what you want to think, but remember one thing. If I did what God told me to do, it doesn't make any difference what you think. If you do what somebody is, if what if you're doing what the Lord is telling you to do, guess what? That means you're humble. You're listening to the King of the Universe. Doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Humility is found solely in what God thinks of what you're doing. He is the only one that can measure whether you're being humble or proud. It is very odd to me that we think we can measure somebody else's humility by their outward action. Oftentimes, outward action does not depict humility or pride because it is the issue of the heart. I don't know if you're proud, but you do. Oftentimes, we know very quickly if we've been rising up in pride. You know, it's funny. I'm going to get into some of this here in a minute. I promise I'm going to move on. Uh, but the truth is, we live in a society today where everybody's a victim. We attempt to do our best to become the victim, and if I can make myself the victim, then everybody's got to feel sorry for me. Do you realize that is a form of pride? I don't mean that to be mean to anybody. The truth is, if you go ahead and you go forward and you go, okay, uh, well, uh, I, I did this and somebody was mean to me and I didn't deserve that, that's an attitude of pride. Whether you deserved it or not, let's face it, if you and I got what we deserved, we'd be in a lake of fire for all of eternity and we don't deserve anything better. So regardless of what anybody else does in this life, whether you feel like you've deserved it or not, you're not that entitled. Our problem is we don't get over ourselves. Everybody has done me wrong. That's why you won't forgive them. You won't humble yourself enough to forgive them. That's an issue of pride. They turn around and you convince everybody that you're the one who's been done wrong. When the reality is they probably did something wrong. But why does everybody have to know? Now it's pride. Look at me. That's pride. Then we turn around and we go, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to attack somebody else. And then somebody reprimands me for being wrong. And we go, see, I'm the victim. Nobody ever lets me. Say, so what is that? That's pride. It's pride and arrogancy. It is the way that the Lord is going to pride. He's going to have to take you right back around, throw you right back in the wilderness. Say, I haven't figured out. They haven't figured it out. You know why Jesus was meek? Because he took the beating and the whipping and the scourging that you and I deserved and he didn't deserve any of it. He is falsely accused of a crime that he did not commit. 
They trump up the charges. They push through some things overnight. They come and take them by night like he's some kind of a common criminal. They won't do it in the daytime because they know they're being dishonest about it. They go ahead and overnight him over to Herod or over to uh, the high priest's place. And Caiaphas goes ahead and goes through the whole deal. They trump up the charges early in the morning. They ship him over to Pilate so that they can get things rolling so that they can hurry up and get this crucifixion over with. But don't worry, I'm sure you're probably the one that's been mistreated and everything's just awful. I don't mean to belittle anything anybody's ever been through. People go through rough things, terrible things. But the reason you don't gain victory is because you refuse to put your pride down. And we're proud to be a victim. We're proud that we got hurt. So we can go ahead and bolster that and show everybody how tough we are because we're getting through our troubles. Except that the Lord's the one who brought you out of the house of bondage. And he doesn't want to abase you. You realize the Lord doesn't want to humble you. He would much rather you humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. He wants you to humble you. He wants you to recognize... I'm being proud right there. I better stop that. I got to quit thinking like that. I got to quit imagining these things. I got to start putting my mind on the things that I know are right. First thing he's doing in the wilderness is making sure to humble thee. Second thing he's doing here in verse number two, I got to hurry up. (laughs) To humble thee, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. First thing he's doing in the wilderness is he's humbling us. Second thing he's doing is proving us. Now, he is not proving to himself what you are. Doesn't God already know what's in your heart? He knows everything about you. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything you've ever said. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows how many hairs are on your head. What does he have to worry about proving what's in your heart to himself? He doesn't have to do that. He's proven it to you. He's proven to you whether or not you love him. He's proven to you whether or not you're going to keep his commandments and do it the way he wants you to do it, or if you're going to start doing things your own way because you don't like the wilderness that he put you in. And that goes right back to your pride. Well, I don't like this thing that I'm going through. Okay. God, that's not fair. Okay, you just proved it. You know, he brings blind Bartimaeus is sitting up there, right? He's sitting there on the wayside begging, and he's looking down at Jesus. Well, he's not looking because he can't see. But he's standing over there, and he's, look, he's waiting for Jesus, and he's hearing all these people. And he knows the commotion, and he starts hearing, and he starts crying out, right? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they try to quiet him, and he cries out even louder, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus brings the blind man down. He has him brought in front of him. He goes, okay, what can I do? Everybody there knows he's a blind man. What do you think he wants you to do, Jesus? Come on. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? You know, it's strange. It's strange to me that you and I struggle sometimes to figure out what we want God to do. And the Lord says, what do you want me to do? And we go, I don't know. 
Now, is he going to do it your way every time? No. He won't just, he won't just do it your way just because. Oh, boy. Do you even know what you want him to do? Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? All that I might see. Oh, I can do that. You don't think Jesus knew what he wanted? He wanted to make sure Bartimaeus knew what he wanted. Christian, he wants to make sure you know what you want. He wants to make sure you understand, do you love me? Do you even want to love me? Do you even want to do my commandments? He says the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says, if thou fain in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. He looks at us and he says, uh, hey, are you going to do that which is your duty to do? Or are you going to go ahead and do whatever? Are you willing to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ that you may please him who hath chosen you to be a soldier? Or is it, that's too hard for me, I'm just going to go. Well, God didn't come through the way I wanted him to come through and God didn't fix what I wanted him to fix and I still have all these troubles and these problems and these struggles and why can't God, and we get mad at God for God not taking away the problem and you know what he's trying to do? He's just trying to prove us. Just trying to let you know, hey, can I trust you? Job is one of the most amazing stories. Job is one of the most amazing men. I hope God never puts all his chips on me. I hope he never slides it over and goes, yeah, I'm going to bet on Caleb right there. Because that's what he did with Job. The devil shows up and he says, uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to and fro in all the earth. I'm looking for somebody to devour. And the Lord says, hey, did you consider my servant Job and how there is none like him in all the earth? The Lord loads him up on a silver platter and says, okay, go ahead, take a swing. And in all this, Job sinned not. Job sinned not with his lips, nor charged God foolishly. You don't think he could have gone up against God and been like, God, why'd you do this to me? How come you let this happen? Why didn't you protect me? You don't think anybody else could do it better than Job? I bet Job could have done that way better than me. His wife looks at him, dost thou retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And all this, he retains his integrity. He doesn't fail. Lord slid everything over to Job and he said, don't worry, Job won't fail me. I've already proved him. I've proved Job over and over and over again. And you know what I know about Job? Job will not give up on me. So why am I going in the wilderness? To prove to you that you will love him even through your trials. That you can trust him even though everything doesn't seem great. You're proving to yourself that you do actually love the one who gave his life for you and paid the debt of all of your sins. You're proving to him that you'd be willing to give up all those things and just trust that God knows exactly what he's doing, no matter what the loss is. Why am I going into a wilderness? Just so you can prove that God is your God and that you'd be willing to go whatever way he wanted you to go. Lastly, I'm not close to being done, but it is the last thing. Verse number three, and he humbled thee 
and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. The last thing he did is, he wants to teach thee. He wants to teach you. He wants to teach you that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He wants to teach you that God is the sole provider of everything that you have. It is not that the grocery store has everything that you need. It is not that you go ahead and go to work and everything that you have is because you worked really hard today. It is not all these other things and you just go ahead and I'm a self-made man and I'm amazing and I go ahead and take care of all these things. You know what he's doing? He's humbling thee, proving thee, and then he goes, I want, you to, I want you to learn something. That all the things in this life I can take away if I need to and I can still provide everything you need. I want you to know something. You and I live in a world right now where the idea of losing everything we have is not so far away. The way our nation is right now, I don't even mean just the sin and the utter crazy that is happening. I mean just the way our economic status and all the things going on around us and this way we are in a precarious position right now. And if everything goes, you know what you and I have? We have a better provider than anybody else would ever have. It will matter nothing, no matter how much you've stored up or taken care of or filled up or done or all the prepping you've done and all the things and you can have all the weaponry you like, you can have your whole arsenal if you feel like it and you know what you still are ending up with? Safety is of the Lord and my God shall supply all your need. And you've got more taken care of in two verses than you will ever get piling up whatever else. but it's to teach you that he can do those things. You go into that wilderness and you start losing some stuff and you start not having the things and you don't have the comforts and you don't have all these other pieces and the Lord says, that's okay, I still take care of you. You're still breathing. You're still fine. You still ate today. What's he doing? He's just proving that you don't need a field to go put your crop in. You can wander around the wilderness. I'll feed you manna from heaven and I'll drop quails on your doorstep. That's what he did for the children of Israel. You say, I don't know if I can trust him like that. That's why he wanted to prove you before he taught you. Will you just trust me? Because I'm going to teach you how to live by faith. You know, someone who's unteachable is proud. So I got to keep coming back to that. Because you need to realize that God wants to make sure that if he doesn't speak, you and I don't live. If he doesn't say the word, you and I are done. And it doesn't matter if you've been vaxxed or unvaxxed. It doesn't matter if you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. It doesn't matter if you've got a million dollars in the bank or if you've got two pennies to rub together. It is the question of whether God will provide it. If he doesn't speak, you and I don't have. And we need to get it in our mind even now that guess what? God wants to go ahead and teach you to follow Him 
in the wilderness. He wants you to learn his voice in the wilderness. He wants you to learn that when he speaks, you can follow. And when he speaks, it's him and it's nobody else. It's learning to follow what your shepherd wanted you to do. So he can lead you into green pastures and by the still waters and take care of all of your need. It's learning that you can follow him whithersoever thou goest. It's learning that you and I can go ahead and trust that he is going to do thee good and not evil all the days of thy life. It is understanding that although you and I may go into a wilderness and you and I may have troubles and we may have trials and we may have struggles that oftentimes you and I have no idea how we're going to get through, God reaches down and says, don't worry, you're my kid. I saved you for all of eternity. I will meet the need. It is on me to provide for you. It is on me to lead you. And if you'd follow me, all the onus is on me to take care of it. Many of you have kids. If your kid needs shoes, clothes, supplies, is it their job to take care of that? I want you to know Uriah is not buying himself shoes. You know who pays for everything? I do. You know who takes care of his needs? I do. You know who makes sure that we have the food and all the things? And that's supposed to be on me. You ever recognize throughout the scriptures when you are supposed to do what God told you to do, God is always responsible for the outcome of what you do? He is a great father. And the truth is you can trust him to be able to follow him wherever he wants to take you. And if the rest of this world goes completely to trash and you and I have nothing in a bank account and nothing to rely on except for God Almighty, you know what we have? We have more than anybody else on the planet. In fact, we'll probably have more than we did before he ever let it all get wrecked. Faith is a strange thing. We're supposed to live by faith. You know, it's funny. People live by faith only when they have nothing else to live by. If there's anything else for us to grasp, that's what we'll grab for. That's human nature. Well, you know, if I can just hang on to this idea and this dream and this hope and this thing, and then when we run out of dreams and hopes and wishes, we turn to God and we go, Hey, God, that's the way most people live. That's the way we tried to be before we got saved. If I could just figure out a way. (laughs) Lord said, you have no way but me. Jesus' statement is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you have been pardoned in here this evening, then you have a marvelous God. He doesn't eliminate the wilderness. So why wouldn't he do that? Because he wants to make sure he can humble thee. Because when we're proud, he's got to resist us. He doesn't want to resist us. He wants to help us. He wants to exalt us in due time. So he's going to humble thee. And then he's going to prove thee. He's going to prove, do you love me? If you love me, 
keep my commandments. Do you love me? Are you going to do it my way or are you going to keep doing it your way? Are you going to stay in your pride and your arrogancy or will you humble yourself and do it my way? So that I can teach you that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word of God. Would you be willing to learn from him? Say, why do I need the wilderness? You need the wilderness because it's the best way for you to have a great relationship with your Savior. And I admit, I don't like it at times. I don't like the struggle. I don't like the problem. I don't like all those things. But growth happens in struggle. We build muscle in struggle. If it's not hard to do, it's not really doing anything. It's when the struggle happens. And then you find out whether or not you'll be able to do it. And the Lord puts us in a wilderness to find out, will you trust me? Will you humble yourself and prove that you love me and listen to what I told you to say, what I told you to do, what I want you to be? Will you follow me? That's the wilderness. And that's why he brings the wilderness. Let's go ahead and stand. I could run a ton of verses tonight. I'm not going to. I'm going to keep things real simple and plain. First thing, if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have no idea for sure you're going to heaven, you can know 100% sure tonight that your sins are forgiven forever. The Bible makes that extremely plain. That you can have your sins forgiven and know for sure you're going to heaven if you'd be willing to humble yourself and realize you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ died for your sins and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He gave his life to pay the debt of your sin and all he asks in return is that you'd believe him and you'd call upon him. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've got some folks that have come to the altar. It's a place where we come and we get to talk with God that way. I'd ask you tonight, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ and you want to know more about it and you want to ask some questions, we'll answer questions. And you can come and get my attention and I'll gladly have someone take a Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. Christian, maybe you're going through some things this week, this month, maybe this whole year, maybe a lifetime of wilderness you feel like. Maybe you need to go and talk to the one who's put you in the wilderness and say, God, I don't know why I'm here. Lord, I know you're trying to teach me something. Help me to learn it quick so I can get through my wilderness. He wants to help you. Don't be so proud that he can't help you. Father, I thank you for the night. I pray you'd bless the invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen.